Hey, good morning. We're so grateful that you're here. When I see that, I just want to jump out and run out of the building. Seriously, and then get out to the park and jump around and I'll be by myself and everybody's asking me. But we're so grateful that you're here. Hey, can we turn the lights on so I could see these people's beautiful faces? I don't want to be in the dark. And we're trying to get these people out of the dark. So yeah, that's good. Now we can see you. Hey, so what we're doing is we are a church that believes in the Bible. Wow. I was going to be here for a while if we didn't get a cheer there. It's like, wow, we're really in trouble. And here's the thing. As I've learned the Bible, the Bible is to be enjoyed. It's to be lived. It's to equip us and to grow us and to change us. It's, it's a change agent in the world so that I can walk one direction and one day the scales come off of my life and I turn the other direction. I'm like, this is the way I'm supposed to live. And that's what the Bible is for us. It's not to enslave us. But you know that a lot of people in this world feel like, oh, the Bible's got rules and regulations and we're to yoke ourselves back under the law. And what happens is then we're not preaching a gospel that brings freedom. We're preaching a, a gospel that puts laws and rules over our life. And I don't know if that's exactly what the New Testament's purpose is. We are going through 1 Timothy as a church, and we are walking through this. And today, we're going to talk about leadership. And the idea of the Bible is this, that you are to become a blessing so that you can bless others. That's the whole purpose of the church is like, I am going to become a blessing so that I can then go out and see someone, meet someone in the street, in my house, in, in my local McDonald's or Starbucks and be a blessing to them and go, man, that person was unbelievably kind and loving to me. What's the difference of their life versus my life? We are to become leaders to help others learn Christ and follow the gospel message that Jesus is Lord. John Quincy Adams was our sixth president. And I don't know if you guys know the story. Several years ago, there was this, you know, you could probably still find it. I think it was on, I think it was on Netflix that there's this series about Quincy Adams. It was really good. He read the Bible every day while he was in office. I think he wrote the Bible every day in his life, but he read the Bible every day. And so here's what he writes about leadership. He says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, to learn more, to do more, become more, you're a leader. And isn't that sound like what Jesus wants to do in your life? He wants you to dream dreams of kingdom revival and, and learn more and do more so that the world becomes a better place. Listen, I have kids, three girls, and my job is to make the world a better place so that when they take the mantle of leadership, the world's a better place and they receive it and do the same thing and bring people into the fold of, of church. As leaders then, what we are to do is... Open up the Bible, and every time I open up the Bible or any pastor in the world, it's an interpretation of what they believe God speaks to them in their life. That's the whole point of it. Just like commentaries from old, they're interpretations, and we receive that, and we give it away, and that's what we are trying to do today as leaders. And there's still stuff that's beautiful happening in this world. I don't know, we're, there's a group of us that are going to Israel in, in, in about four months now. It's going to be epic, awesome, powerful, amazing, whatever. 
But here's what you need to know. You're going to go to Israel and they're going to tell us, our guide is going to tell us, in the last five years, more stuff has been uncovered by archaeologists because of new technology. Like in the last 50 years has been a great movement for Israel and for biblical times in the Middle East. But in the last five years, because they have technology, they we can survey it, they are uncovering more stuff than ever. And that then has an impact on how we interpret the Bible. Does that make sense? And so new things are coming into place, not to change the Bible, but to help us understand more about who it means and who it's reaching out to. And last week, I don't know if you guys were here, but Jeremy killed it. He did. He did a message on women. Yeah, it was great. And normally I make fun of him, but I'm going to try and just let it sit. Because I was a, it was a blessing to be here. And, and as we go into today's message, I don't want to lose context of what he talked about. And if you guys weren't here, he talked about women that said they should be quiet and submissive. So I want you, I'm doing that as a teaser. You should look because he says some stuff that was really interesting. And it was really in context of what was happening in the day and age of Ephesus. And a lot of questions came up in my small group and throughout the week of like, well, where does Jeremy get all this information? It's not in the Bible. And so I just did what every normal American does. I Googled it. And you know what happened is, as I Googled it, the History Channel came up. Anybody like the History Channel? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's good, but it doesn't really care about your faith. But the point is this. I typed in Ephesus. The History Channel came up. And everything that Jeremy spoke on last week about the history, and it's like 1,300 years of history from Ephesus, right? And in the middle of the history, there's like, oh, there's a Christianity portion too. Very small one paragraph, very tightly neat fit into this. But the point was, is if you just look at the History Channel and you look at the, uh, and type in Ephesus, it will show you exactly everything Jeremy talked about, how women were domineering in this religion of Artemis and how they were in control of the religion and how they were wearing stuff when they were getting pregnant. You can read that on the History Channel website. It's not new information. We understand culture. We have been studying civilization for years, if not millennials. And so we understand it. So what he brought was stuff that comes in from the outside and adds to the biblical context. And today I want to do the same thing. I just don't want to walk away and go, women, if you didn't hear the message, you should listen to it about teaching. One of the things Jeremy said at the beginning of his message, it says, women should some, uh, quietly learn. And it sounds like today, what are you talking about, girl? But truthfully, here's what you need to know, and I'm just going to, this is the last thing I'm going to say about Jeremy's message. You should go listen to it. It says, if, if Paul said a woman should learn, that was so radical. It was not allowed in civilization, not just in Israel, in civilization. A woman had her place, and it was not to learn and be at the foot of Jesus. Go listen to the message. I think you'll be blown away. The last thing I want to say before we dig into the Bible is this. I'm not a Greek scholar by any 
means at all. Jeremy's got a master's in, in language and he's better at it than me, but he would even say he's nowhere near where some of these people are. But here's what you need to know. I know Greek, I've taken Greek, I've surveyed, I know how to parse out a sentence. Here's what you need to know about the Greek language and I think you guys will all understand this. It's uh, the Greek language that we listen to is androcentric and all that means is it takes a male perspective. I think we have a definition of androcentric. It takes this, it takes the male uh, concept and just links it as the worldview. That's really what it means. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that that's how the Bible was written in the thing. And so sometimes we need to kind of go, is this towards man or is this mankind? Let me give you some examples. The thing about androcentric and in the Greek language, they don't use pronouns, he or his. They don't use that. They just use masculine or feminine. They use different tenses. And so unlike our language where we add that, the Greek language is different. In 1954, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the things that changed in some of the translations that you see in the Bible were it said brethren or beloved or brothers, right? And you know what it actually said when they found older texts in the Dead Sea Scrolls? It meant brother and sister, it was all inclusive. It wasn't just a male dominated. And so that's one of the things that we learned with new stuff. Yeah, you can cheer for that. And then the last thing I was gonna say, I was gonna give you a couple of examples. In John chapter 316, the most famous verse in the Bible, it says, God so loved the world that whosoever is actually the real word, the Greek word, whosoever is a masculine word. And so what that means is, if you just look at it as a masculine word, God so loved the world that whosoever is a male gets saved. Is that how we translate it and teach it? No. So sometimes we have to look at that and look at the context and look and understand what God is saying. And sometimes it's man, like the actual men, and then sometimes it's humanity, and we have to look at the general idea. And so that's where we're at today. I had a great professor. His name was Troy Welch, and he said this, and I'll close with this, and we'll get into the text. Uh, man, I had a lot of questions going in. I didn't really understand theology. I was just, you know, a locked-up, you know, marketing guy from Chico. That's good. Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> You're the first person that said that's good, but that's okay. And Troy said this to me, he said, Jeff, just let God and the Bible answer all your questions. And he didn't try and steer me into his theology. He wanted God to steer me in the theology that God wanted me to have. Does that make sense? And so that's what I want you to do today. Today, we are going to fight the good fight, right? We are going to fight the good fight. And what we're going to do is we're going to open up Timothy chapter 3. And it talks about men in some contacts with leadership. And I believe in men leadership. Men, where are you at? We need to lead. We need to be leaders and lead our family and lead our, our friends and family into this community. But we also don't want to hinder women today. So uh, as we pray and as we read, I want you to pray and ask God to speak to you and watch him work in your life. I was talking to my sister about the message this week and she says, make sure you tell everybody that we lack leadership and values today. Our culture lacks leadership we have walked away from the gospel. We have taken it out of schools. And in the last 50 years, you see this huge cultural shift where they used to have the Ten Commandments. There were no shootings in the, the, when they had the Ten Commandments in the, on the board because it said, thou shalt not kill. So we're walking away and we're now in this phase of we're going to be Europe in 100 years if we don't make some changes. 
And so what we need to do is bring value and leadership back. And Timothy helps us with that today. So let's, let's read and pray. Verse uh, chapter 3, this is a trustworthy saying. It happens five times in the text. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So the church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love, the, not love money. He must manage his family well, having children who respect him. Help us, Lord. And for if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of the church? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we lift up the text to you, and we know that this is holy. And we know that your words are true and strong. And I pray that you help us to interpret and decipher what you want us to speak. And Lord, wherever my theology or whatever is wrong in my heart, Lord, will you fix right now? And whatever you bring to us, Lord, we celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so again, I'm grateful that you're here. Let's hear it for those that are outside. Well, we can't hear if you guys are clapping. We have three churches in one today, and we've been doing this since COVID. We've got a group of people that love outside, my father-in-law, one of them. We've got a great group of people online that are just loving sitting at home, drinking coffee. And uh, then we've got this wonderful group that we're worshiping together indoors, and we're so grateful for that. So uh, I believe God wants me to say this. In context of last week where Jeremy talked about all the things that were happening to, to these women that were domineering and they were ruling this religion that was really the predominant religion in Ephesus. One of the things that Paul is trying to tell the church is men need to stand up. Men, you need to rise up. Take, the, take hold of the gospel and let it reign in your heart and watch how it allows you to lead and grow and change and move things around your life. That's all I've done. I'm literally, honestly, I'm a Bible idiot. All I do is read my Bible and I just trust that somehow, some way, God is gonna resolve and fix whatever needs to be fixed. And that's who I am and that's what makes me me. So interesting, we have male teachers most all over the country teaching the gospel. But do you guys know this fact? 61% of all churches in America are women. So we got male teaching speaking to a majority women, and 39% are men, and that includes the Bible Belt. If you're from the Bible Belt, we got, I, I see a friend from the Bible Belt. You got a, a if you're from the Bible Belt, you got to go to church. 90% of people go to church even if they don't want to go to church. So that, that, that skews the odds. I've been in a church where it was 75 women, 25% guys. So I think part of what Paul is telling us is, men, where are you at? And let's rise up and take the helm and lead our life and watch people walk with us because people want the gospel to be led and, and spoken. And so hopefully that speaks to you as, as, a, as a man today. Men are to lead, and I, I'm not trying to discard that at all. I know that's what God has called me to do, but he also, I think for, for you women, he wants you to lead as well in some way, shape, or form, and you'll see that today in the message. I want to read to you 
the same verse in a non-androcentric way, meaning this is a CEB. It's a pretty well-renowned re, uh, well translation. Say that 27 times. And it just says it in a little different way. It takes out the masculinity. And I don't necessarily know if this is 100% true, but it's got a huge scholarly bent. You look at it, the pros and cons of this translation, and they're saying it is scholarly written. So here's what it says. It's the same beginning. It says, this is a reliable saying. If anyone has a goal of being a supervisor, a church leader in the church, they want a good thing. It's honorable. So the church supervisor must be without fault. They should be faithful to the spouse, sober, modest, and honest, and they should know hospitality and and should be able to teach the same verse just kind of showing it without any any uh, uh, masculinity in there not that that's bad it's just showing us another way to read it and that's one of the verses that they would say would be a negative in that translation the idea here is that the church should be run by overseers this this word is episcope and that's where we get episcopalian it's uh, it's this word of overseeing it's a place where you investigate you inspect and you are making sure that the that the people that are in front of other people kids junior high high school women children all of the men whoever are actually following and making sure that they're teaching from the gospel and not getting outside of the bounds they're making sure that the money's right they're making sure that we're we're whole and we're we're right with God and today at the end of service Tim's going to bring up our board. You're going to get to meet him. And we're really going to do things a little differently now that, the, now that we're out of COVID. And I hope that you see that. It, you would think that we planned this day that we were going to do this vision and value and we're going to teach about leadership, but we're not that smart. Just honestly, we're not. It was brilliant because uh, Michelle, my friend Michelle was saying, wow, it's so cool that we, 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 we didn't plan this, but it's on the same day we're talking about leadership. So I wish we were that smart and we can just go, man, we're so good, but that's not how it is. So as a leader, and this is like, so let me give you a, 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 a I, I have a corporate world background. So I, I, I got caught up in jail and life was changed, but I, I grew up in a corporate background. In a corporate, they have a, a board of advisors. They got a president, a vice president, and then they've got a secretary and treasurer, similar to the church. But the idea here is that they have a board that leads the corporation. Then you have mid-level management, and then you have lower management, and then you have workers. And that's kind of how the church is. But here's what it takes to be on that actual upper echelon of leadership. And it's really what the Bible says. It's honorable to be there. And what I'm going to do, the best way to teach this is just give you a list of things that are up there. And here's what I want you to do, both men and women. Look at the list, look at the pro, the, the, the what you need to be, and also look at the antonym, the opposite of that, and see where you are in that. So as I put this list up here, I just want you to see, the first part of the list says, live above reproach. And what that means is, versus living with a lot of question marks in your life. Above reproach means this, that, uh, you know, my life is open. Uh, it's an open book. I don't really have any big secrets. You know, at 99% or 95% of my life's out there. There's not much questions versus living a life going, mm, that person's got a lot of question marks. Where do you stand in that as a leader? The second one is um, being faithful in marriage. Are you faithful or are you a swinger? Or are you a cheater? Or do you believe in adultery like that's a healthy way? So either you're faithful or you're unfaithful in marriage. So that's the second part. And then it says having self-control versus having no control. 
So as a leader, you've got to have a good reputation. You've got to be, uh, live above board. You, you've got to be faithful to your marriage. And, and then it says you've got to live wisely. And the only way that you can live wisely, especially in Christian leadership, is to live by the word of God and live a Proverbs life, putting Proverbs life in, in your heart every day and living through the wisdom of God. And if you want to live wisely, you use the word of God. If you want to live wildly, go to Chico State. a whole nother level there. Uh, you have to have a good reputation. I'll talk about that one in a second. I want to put it aside because it comes up again. You got to be hospitable to guests. You know that a hundred years ago, people would knock on the door and go, do you have any food or is there a place that I could stay? Just a hundred years ago. We're talking 1910, 1920. The car wasn't very prevalent. Hey, our family's here and people would knock on the door. When people knock on our door today, it's like, who is it? <laughs> Check the camera. We're not answering. Why would anybody ever knock on our door again? You know, text me before you even call me. I don't want to deal with you. But really, it says be hospitable and open up your home. That's good leadership. Your home is to be a place for others. It should be able to teach. And that doesn't mean from the pulpit if you're a leader. It doesn't mean that I need to teach from the pulpit. It means that I could teach one or two or I can teach uh, kids, or I can be in ministry, and I could show what God has done in my life and be able to teach. I think that's really cool. Not be a heavy drinker and violent. Huh. A couple times today that comes up, and all that is saying for us is that if we are living to take an edge off, we're missing out on what God wants for us. Because what happens is when I drink, first of all, I break out in handcuffs and end up Vegas spending my 401k. But when other people drink, they check out instead of check in and don't do the homework that they need to do or whatever work. And so you got to be and not be violent. Super important. Today's society is very violent. What we watch on TV is very violent. You guys watched Happy Days? They didn't have anything like that in Happy Days that what we're watching today. So, the next part is, must be gentle and quarrelsome. Here the Apostle Paul writes what he should be in the antonym. Gentle, a leader of the church should bring peace. Blessed are those who are a peacemaker, for they will be a child of God. They will see God. They will hear God. Because a peacemaker is the first thing. It's like, there's quarrel. Let me bring peace instead of add fire to the fuel of the fire. Peacemaker is huge, not being quarrelsome. Doesn't love money versus it's all about the money. That's a tough place today because our society in Southern California is driven by a lot of money. If you just move outside to Bakersfield or if you go outside to Arizona or whatever, they don't have that as much as we do and we're just in this hustle and bustle and we struggle because we all know, let's be honest, it takes money to live, right? So we can't love money. And then there's the last one. Have respect of his children. Is that even possible? Honestly. I mean, we are, you remember when you were kids and your parents were so lame? And now they're kids that don't even think we're lame. We're beyond that. We have no sense in self at all. And so to have, uh, to have children that respect you that are obedient and manage your home, honestly, that might be the hardest thing in the whole list. If you've ever had a kid, that is hard. That is hard. If you can get four days out of the week, you're pretty good on obedience and obeying and respectful. 
you're doing a pretty good job. You're batting over 500 in baseball. That's good. So here's the thing. The Episcopal leader has nothing to do with the giftedness. It has, uh, God's not saying go out and get the most gifted people and bring them in and lead the church. God is telling us, don't worry about the gifts because I will give you the gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says, I'll give you the gifts. Look it up and see what it says. God says, I don't need you to bring all the gifts. I'm gonna gift you. And I know that as I became a leader at Journey, some of the gifts I have today, I did not have when I walked in this building. And I didn't have, you know, when we first started the church. God has grown me in that gift because that's what he wants to do. When he calls you, he's going to give and equip you to do that position. Does that make sense? So going to seminary doesn't qualify you to be a spiritual leader. Being a good talker up on stage doesn't qualify you. Natural or spiritual gifts don't qualify you. And how much money you give and how you volunteer don't qualify you to, to be a spiritual leader. You know what does? Godly character. How much godly character do you have in your life? That is what qualifies you. The, that's the mic drop moment of like, hey, do you have characters that God has installed in your life and that you've learned and they grow and that you live by? And that is what makes us a spiritual leader. Here's what it says in verse six. A church leader must not be a new believer. We'll talk about that. Because he might become proud and the devil will cause him to fall. Also, outside the church, uh, people outside the church must be, speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In, a two, verse, in two chapters over, chapter five, uh, Timothy chapter five, it's gonna say in 22, it says, don't be quick to lay hands on people because they look good and they're, 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 they have you know, good speaking skills or they look like they could be a good leader. It says, make sure you don't do that because the devil loves an immature believer because we get pride and, and we get into the thick of things and we haven't really grown in the way that God wants us to grow. Someone new really hasn't spent the time to build their godly character because you have to put years and seasons of biblical reading and biblical knowledge and sit under, under some teaching so that you could learn to receive and go, that was good, that might have not been God. And so there's some qualities that you have to have. You need to learn how to recognize what's a spiritual attack and what you're doing just to mess up your own life. So you have to learn that and that takes time. Uh, because we have a deceptive uh, Satan that loves to trip us up and a lot of times when we put people up too early we see what happens is they they leave and go in a prideful place and they do stuff that's not necessarily good to the kingdom they do it that's good for themselves and that's why God is saying that and then again it talks about reputation and it's important I want to spend a little bit of time on reputation God has chosen uh, Proverbs chapter 22 verse 1 choose a good reputation over great riches being held in high esteem is better than gold and silver. In today's age, you guys all know this better than I, we have a 24-hour news cycle. We have social media that's going constantly. You have people following every political leader that's on the opposite side to catch them doing something. You have a news cycle that just wants to be the news, not, not report news, right? And so what's happening now that we've got all the social media in this 24-hour news cycle, a good reputation still can supersede all of that. Because if you have a good reputation, it doesn't matter what people say and put to the door. You, you know that that's not who you are and people around you as well. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 says the same exact thing that Proverbs says, but it adds this, and this is really cool. It says at the end, it's better on the day that you die, it will be better than the day that you're born. If you have a good reputation on the day that you die, 
It'll be better on the day that you're born. Anybody know someone that was an amazing leader that just had a great reputation? You go to their funeral and it's standing room only. There's no room to sit because everybody's like, man, that person impacted me and had an amazing walk in this world. And I've been to a couple of those and it's amazing to see and, uh, and, and be a part of. Verse 8, in the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of faith now revealed and must live with a clear, clear conscience. I love that. Before they were appointed as deacons, they must be closely examined. And if they pass a test, let them serve as deacons. The word is deaconos. That's the actual Greek word. And the idea here is the definition would be like a servant or a waiter but one who executes commands. And the way that we do it at this church, we really don't name them deaconesses or deacons. We, we, we call them lay leaders. We have a bunch of people on, that are at our church that are actually lay leaders or volunteers. A couple of them can do weddings and funerals when we're not available. We have people taking jobs and roles at other churches. Recently, we've added a couple of people to the staff that are lay leaders or deacons that are doing this work, that are doing stuff just to execute so the church can run at a better level. And honestly, we are super grateful for that because that saves and changes the whole concept of the church. The best way to understand this is number one, the, the one time about a servant or a waiter, Jesus goes in and Mary and Jesus are at a wedding and she goes to, uh, Mary goes to Jesus, now's the time we need more wine. Kind of rhymes right there. Not a heavy drinker, but you need more wine. And, 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 and she looks at the deaconess, deaconess and says, hey, do whatever he says. And then Jesus changes water into wine. That actually waiter or servant actually helps Jesus accommodate. And that's kind of the, the waiter or servant. But the real definition that Paul is writing, we see in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be a deaconess, a servant. That's what we need to be. That's the type of leadership Paul's talking about. If you want to lead and lead well in church, you're going to have to be a servant. And trust me, if you've ever been a server at a restaurant, people treat you pretty lousily. I, my, you want to hear, this is free. <laughs> if I were king of the castle, I'd make everybody work in the restaurant for one day. Because you would have a different experience at a restaurant once you work behind there. Because my family owned restaurants. And people are mean. People are mean. People are mean. All right, that was free. <laughs> so what does it take to be a deacon, deaconess? And so here's the thing. In churches today, you're starting to see deacon and deaconesses, men and women, even in churches that believe in, in male teaching, uh, they still are starting to spread this around because we're starting to see the way this is spoken, that you need to have both men and women in the church leading. And this is kind of mid-level management. And I don't know if you know mid-level management. They do all the work. They're the ones that do all the heavy lifting. The other guys sit back and smoke cigars and, and eat bonbons going, man, I hope it works. And then the mid-level manager and the lower level and the workers do all the work. And so that's what we see here. And so here's a list. Number one, they must be well-respected. They must have this word. I love this word. It's integrity. I got a friend, Chuck, who just like, it's all about integrity. If you ever sit with him and say, it's all about integrity, that's it. 
and that's it. That's all you got to talk to about Chuck. If you just talk to him, he just says it's all about integrity. And you know what integrity is? Integrity means that you're blameless. It doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. It means that, hey, I made a mistake, and listen, I apologize. That was my bad. That was my fault. I'm the one, and that's why it caused. I am blameless because I have integrity because I'm okay to call out my own stuff. That's what integrity is. That's called blameless because you could say, man, I don't really like the guy, but he stands up for all of what he says he does wrong. And he also is, is humble when he achieves something. So that's what we see in integrity. Not a heavy drinker. You don't need to drink that much. What happens today is we use stuff again to take the edge off because it's hard to live in this world. And all I'm saying is, I don't know why it's coming up. I, you know, I, I, I know you can drink as a Christian. I don't drink because I'm an alcoholic. But I know you can drink. But if you're drinking for purposes other than a social one or, you know, and if it's every day, then you got to really think, is this what God wants for me? And, you know, I'm just telling you what it says. No. And it's not saying that you shouldn't. It just says not a heavy drinker. And at one point, you're going to see it's going to tell Timothy, drink a little wine because your stomach's got issues. So I won't drink that, but Timothy might. Not a heavy drinker, not dishonest with money. Why the whole money thing? Do you know that church is, is driven and people in mid-level management and upper management have the access to money from the church? You know that, uh, I'll tell you this, myself and Jeremy and every pastor on staff, we've never touched the money. We try not. Somebody will come up and go, hey, do you want to give this to the offering? And I'm like, uh, please don't give that to me. And then when I get it, I run to someone that's on the board or Heidi and go, please take this. I don't want to touch the money because I don't want anybody to have any impriority that that's going into my pocket or staying with me. And that's a big part of it. And so when you are, are, are in management of a church, you got to make sure that you're above board because what happens is people need money and it's available. There's opportunities. And so money's a big part. Uh, Continue on the list. Committed to the faith that is a mystery. Do you guys know what that means? It means that you don't know all the answers. I love this about ministry. You come to me and ask me some questions. Maybe we're talking or doing some counseling or whatever. And I'll go, I don't really know. But I'm willing to dig in with you and pray and see what God has because faith is a mystery because we don't know all the details and all the dates and ends. And so I've got to be committed to I don't know the answers, but I know that God is good and I know these are the principles and that we got to trust in him, we got to wait on him and, and we got to believe that that mystery is. And then it says, and do it with a clear conscience. That means, you know what that means? That I'm continually washed with the blood of Christ because that's the only thing that can clear my conscience. That only thing that can make me right is the, the blood of Jesus Christ. That helps me. And then they need to be tested and examined. They need to have it. Some of the people that are lay pastors have taken a test with us. We have those on file. And the last part, again, faithful in marriage. And again, the kid thing. Man, I don't know, man. I pray for parents all the time. I believe in marriage. I believe in parenting. But I know how hard it is. And I know how hard it is in my life. And I have good kids. And man, we struggled. And we've had horrible things happen in our family and in our life. And it's just been hard. But man, what a blessing to have your kids kind of walk away and grow and see their life be radically changed and still serving God. And then I guess one of the things it says in my notes is, how do you do kids without God? 
I, and I, I don't know how you even do it. I have no clue. And, and I, I, uh, thankfully, God gave me kids after I had God because, you know, I, I would have been a lot worse without it. So I just, I have that highlighted in my notes. I said, how do you do it without God? Here's the thing. So you're a leader in church. You know who else they look at? Your spouse. So not only are you in charge of something, it's like, well, how is he or she? What do they do? And here's what they said. Here's some things about the spouse. That a spouse needs to exercise control. They need to be faithful in what they do. They must be well-respected and no gossip, please. You know how much gossip, you know what? The church hurts a lot of people. That's why therapists are in uh, need today. Because we are hurting people because people have problems. And they don't need people to talk about it. They need people to help them through it. And so I remember my wife was, uh, I was going to say chewing someone out, but she would never do that. But uh, about gossip, and it was probably our kids because gossip just kills churches. It divides churches, it splits churches, and it's not helpful, and that's one of the things that we see here. And then it says this, they will have a reward from this life, be respected in greater confidence. You see people that have great confidence in this world and in their faith, it's because they have uh, leadership and they have a good spouse and they're walking knowing that the kingdom of God is good and that they're living for the mystery of faith. They've washed themselves, they're living in the blood. That's what we see here. And there's this great woman, I don't know if you guys know him, I, I, I was in the Silicon Valley back in the 90s and then the tech boom and bust, I was part of both of it, lost a bunch of money too. And and there's this woman, her name, uh, let me get it right, Padmasri, her name's Padmasri Warrior, and she was an unbelievable, still is an unbelievable tech giant leader. And she was at uh, Motorola, and then she jumped to Cisco, and then in 2019, she's got this new, uh, new company called Fable. And here's what she writes about leadership. This is why I'm putting it in. I think she's an amazing leader. She says, the ability to learn is the most important quality a leader can have. If you can't learn in church, and if you can't learn as a leader, you're not a leader because you're stuck in your old ways. That one of the lies in the world is that, oh, uh, you know, old dog can't learn new tricks. That's just not true. We can grow. God has the power to break that stubborn heart and stubborn head and give you to grow. That's just not true. And so you need to learn. All of these qualities or godly characters need to be learned and installed and they come from his word and they come from years of just uh, living out this. You need to be teachable and here's my definition as a, a, a leader. Write it down. A leader has people following them. You could say, I'm a leader at church, but if nobody's following you, are you really a leader? You have to have at least one or two people that are following you going, man, I believe what you're saying. And, you know, it could be your kids. It could be your parents. In my family, my sister, when she was 17, accepted Jesus. And years later, we followed her into the, the, the Christian church. She led us into church and still continues to lead us in, in our faith because she's the one that pioneered our family into the freedom of Jesus Christ. That's what a leader does. Last part is uh, 1 14, 15, 16. It says, truth about our faith. Paul writes, and I read, this, I, I read this a couple of times in full sitting. 
In seminary, you should read these books together. You should take 10 minutes if you're a good reader, 15 to 20 minutes if you're a slow reader, and you could read through this whole book and read it in context. Remembering what chapter 1 says, hey, be worried of some myths and, and, and bad teaching. And then two talks about this women and how they're learning. And then three talks about men rising up. And then four is going to talk about something else. But the idea is read it and, and, and sit in it and listen to the whole thing. And here Paul is just kind of reminding us about faith. The truth of our faith. I'm writing you these things uh, now even though I hope to be with you soon. So that if I'm delayed you will, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of truth. This is the church of the living God, and it's the foundation of truth. That's why we come here, is to hear truth and not my interpretation or what God wants. We need to look to it and trust that our church is bringing that to light. There's an, another great woman leader. Her name's Cheryl Sandberg. She's the COO, chief operating officer. She actually gets everything done at Facebook. Don't act like none of you are on it. And here's what she says about leadership. And this is what Apostle Paul's trying to get to. He says, leadership is about making others better as a result of your presence. Or making sure that the impact lasts in your absence. One of the things that I've done as being a leader at this church is when I go away on vacation or I'm on a mission trip or I'm just not at church, I never call and go, is everything okay? And create more stress because it's already stressful. If you guys haven't seen that, come here before 9 o'clock and watch all the stress it takes to get to this place. And so, and, and, and when you leave, a good leader leaves and the, the church still runs the same way. It's not like, oh, parents are out, let's have a party, right? The Apostle Paul's like, hey, you got to make sure that you lead correctly. And that's what God is saying. We remind you, Paul's reminding us that the church is really God's house. He is the architect. He is the builder of the church. He is the one that provides. He is the one that we honor. He is the one that we come and celebrate and worship. This is about Christ and all that he is. And it's not about you and all that you need. God rules this house because he dwells in this house. He lives in this house because this is house. And this is a community center because it's not about the place. It's about the people that are worshiping Jesus Christ. <laughs> Verse 16 says, and without question, this is the great mystery of faith. And now he closes this section and, and then he will get on to a new topic next week. Paul wants us to know that we are to live without controversy. Today, it's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. It would be so easy just to pick a side and go, okay, we're just going to run with this side. But Journey has chosen to take the gospel and make this the, the, the function, even though we have our opinions and our own ideas of what things should be in this world. But we're going to pick the gospel above everything else. We're going to read it faithfully and give you the opportunity to grow. And that's what Paul is saying. Live without controversy. Live together. Serve God together. Put the kingdom of God above your little castle. The kingdom of God is more important than journey the church. We are just one little castle in the kingdom of God. And we are responsible for this, but we are trying to build the kingdom more than we're trying to build this castle. And that's a critical part of this. And the reason why we're doing that is because we are trying to get people get, to get ready. And what are we getting ready for? Jesus is coming back. So we are going to celebrate. And one day, hopefully all of us are going to be raptured, right? Hopefully none of you are stuck back going, what happened? There's no lines at In-N-Out in Starbucks anymore. 
And then Paul brings us to the hymn. You know that the Bible has a bunch of old hymns the church used to, 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 to celebrate? And here's one of them in the, at the end part of chapter 3. And here's the hymn, and this is who Jesus really is. And they would say this as a church. Christ was revealed in human body and was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations, was believed in uh, throughout the world and was taken to glory. And they would say that regularly as they sang and welcomed in the gospel or let it out because they wanted everybody to know. Don't forget what we're worshiping and who we're celebrating. And we need to remember that to do. Christ was revealed in human form. That means God incarnate. He's human and he was real and he was on this earth so that we can have a savior and live for the glory of God. He was confirmed or vindicated by the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter three, the dove shows who Jesus is. And then there's a voice from heaven. That was vindication from the spirit that, that Jesus was who he says. We see in Acts chapter one and verse two, the Holy Spirit descends and moves and grows and it vindicates Jesus. It shows who he is. And then in, it, in, in Isaiah chapter 11 verse two, it talks about who he is, who he is gonna be. And it said in that one that he, the spirit of God is going to rest upon his shoulders and that he will fulfill the spirit of God. He will be vindicated. He was seen by angels. Do you know how many times things are said in the Bible about angels and Christ? In, in, in Matthew chapter 28, you see the angels saying, hey, he's not here. He's gone. He was just here, but he's gone. He's going to meet you in Galilee. We see it in Mark, uh, Luke 22 where he's, the angels are ministering to him and we see him in Mark chapter 1 verse 13 where it says that he's in the wilderness and in the wilderness it says the angels ministered to Jesus because the angels and Jesus worked together to, to, uh, to announce to the nation Jesus is who he says and finally he's preached so that we believe and then as we believe others can believe and our job as leaders in our own life is to believe so that we can walk out of here and help others into that glory so I asked God what am I supposed to say this week as I read this and here's what God says I want men and women working together to serve the church and build the kingdom of God that's what he wants and in Camarillo, in Pleasant Valley, as we got a lot of people coming from different places, we got people online and outside, he wants us to start rebuilding the church. And it starts with you, it starts with me, and it starts with looking at those lists and saying, am I a leader and can I lead people? Does that mean you need to know everything about the Bible? No, you don't. And trust me, when you tell someone you don't know everything about the Bible, they actually give you more credibility versus less. We think I need to memorize this and you go, I don't know, but let's ask someone or let's read together. If you read with someone that's never read before, it really is mind-boggling to them and it was really powerful. John Quincy Adams said this, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you're a leader. What are your actions inspiring people to do? Are you growing people or are you turning them away? Are you helping them grow and live out the dream that God has? And you know what the dream God has for you? To be a child of God. And at the end of your life, here's the dream that he wants for you. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. You know, that's God's dream for you. That he wants you to say at the end of days that Jesus is Lord and I've done everything I can to the best of my ability what God has given me for the kingdom of God. We're so grateful that you're here today. 
as we, interpretate the, as we interpret the Bible today and give you options to hear the gospel and hear the message, the ultimate goal for God is for you to love God and love others. That's why we love the world one person at a time. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are so grateful for these words. And Lord, I pray that you help inspire people to lead. And I pray that you help men stand up and lead in a way that's righteous. And I pray that you help women grow in their faith and learn and understand who you are. But Lord, more importantly, I pray that someone crosses that threshold of faith today. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you need Jesus and you need a Savior and you need to get out of your own way, if you're online and you're ready to click off, don't give it a second and just say this prayer. Invite Jesus into your heart. If you're outside and you just need a, a Savior and a new way of life, all you've got to do is say this small prayer with me and repeat it and you'll become part of the kingdom of God. Father, forgive me for my sins. Wash them clean and give me a clear conscience. Come into my heart and soul, Lord Jesus, so that I can be a follower of God. You died upon the cross for me and you rose again three days later. Lord, I offer my life to you and I ask that the Holy Spirit become part of me right now and guide me all the days of my life. I thank you, Lord, for this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, now let's worship God and celebrate what God has spoke to us today. <laughs>